So about five weeks ago, and actually if you're watching this on the day it comes out, August 28th, 2022, will be exactly five weeks ago. Five weeks ago, um, I stopped drinking caffeine. My wife came to me and she said, you know, um, we probably should kick around some changes in, in our diets, right? Because we're both getting older and our weight's going up and our cholesterol's going up and our blood pressure's going up. These are all things that have just happened naturally with age. But if you take better care of yourself, you can mitigate some of those things. And so we made the decision to change what we were eating and drinking. Now, being without caffeine, if you don't know me, may not sound all like that much of a big deal. Right? You know, maybe I skip a Coke every day or a, something of that nature. But the thing is, if you do know me, you know that one of these little things is attached to my hand about every waking moment of the day. One of these or a travel mug or a cup from McDonald's or, or a coffee shop somewhere. Coffee is part of my daily routine. And I don't just mean one cup in the morning. I mean all day long. I love coffee. Love to drink it. And there have been times in these five weeks, especially in those first few days. And if you encountered me in the first few days, I am really sorry if I was short-tempered or forgetful or any of those things because my head hurt like the dickens and my stomach was flipping over in circles and I was even sweating at times going, what in the world is going on here? And there were times when, you know, just between you, me and the fence post, it, it was really tempting for me to go find a cup of coffee or, or even do something like just go sit at one of our local coffee shops and drink a water and just smell the coffee as it was going by. I mean... That's weird. I wouldn't do that. But you get what I mean. I, I felt kind of kind of desperate, right? Desperate for that coffee that I had depended on for so long. And now that it was gone, it was painful in some ways. Now, all kidding aside, and as annoying as that was, I wasn't really desperate. That There's a big difference there between being out of something you like or being inconvenienced and being truly desperate or experiencing true desperation. True serious desperation is is you know, when you're drowning, you know, you and you can't get air, right? That's desperation and you'll grab on to really anyone or anything that you think could save you from drowning. You're desperate. You'll take what you can get to survive. Maybe it's it's being so dehydrated you're stuck in the desert and and you know, literally you're at the brink of death because you have no water. You are desperate for water. Or maybe it's about being wounded in an accident and seriously hurt. And without the proper medical care, you are not going to make it. You are desperate to get help. And you probably will reach out to whatever help you can get. What about living in a state that feels like constant desperation? What about living in poverty where you're having to make a decision almost daily as to whether or not you're going to pay your bills or feed your children, right? Or put gas in your car or, or get bus fare or any of those things. You feel like, I'm never going to get out of this. It can very, very, very quickly feel like you're in a desperate, desperate place that you're stuck. What about 
being persecuted. Maybe, maybe you feel like you're in this constant place where you feel like everybody else is stepping on you as they try to get a leg up in the world, right? They're holding you backwards and smashing you along the way and not thinking twice about it. Or maybe you're desperate because you're utterly alone, have been utterly alone physically, emotionally, and spiritually for days, months, weeks, or years as though it's never going to end. It's in those kinds of desperate times that the old adage becomes a reality. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And it's those times when we're willing to do, frankly, desperate things that maybe we would not do the other any other time. As we finish up our series, Jesus in the Psalms, we're going to be in Psalm 22 today. And we're going to kind of move through it. It's 31 verses, so we're going to read verses here and there that kind of highlight the sentiment of the psalm and, and highlight the presence of Jesus in the psalm, because that is clearly what we're here to do. That's, that's part of this process. But, but the psalmist begins in this state of desperation, this state where his enemies are descending upon him. This is said to have been written by David, where his enemies are descending upon him and he feels all alone. And he feels abandoned, alone, forgotten, despised, and mocked. And he feels like there's not a whole lot of other places to turn because he is truly desperate. If you read along with me, we're going to read Psalm 22. I'm going to read a little switch on you today. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation, the NLT. So if you're using a Bible app, you can pull it up there under NLT. Um, if you're not, it'll be on the screen in a second. So the first few verses of our Psalm, Psalm 22, go like this. It says, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. But I am a worm and not a man. I am scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and they shake their heads saying, is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Do you hear the call of this desperate man as he writes? He is truthfully alone, believing God. Where are you? I can't even see you. I can't feel you. I don't know where you are. And this is my time when I'm really desperate, when I really need you. He feels like he's forgotten, abandoned, despised by the world around him, not just for being a human being, in fact, he equates himself with a worm, being, being he's less than everybody else around him. He's mocked, and in the verses that would follow this, he speaks of being surrounded by his enemies and the fact that his body is in constant pain, it's being beaten, senseless, and that he feels like he has lost literally everything. Yet there is something unique about David's cries here. He begins with this phrase, my God, three times in the first two verses. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God. There's this recognition that even in the midst of all of this, it is God and only God that he can turn to and that it is, at the end of the day, his God. There is 
a small glimmer, a tiniest little glimmer of hope, even in David's most desperate times. And I believe when when Paul would later say that David was a man after God's own heart, it is that. It is that faith that never gives up hope in the Lord, that always says, look, I know what I'm going through stinks, right? And that I am truly desperate to even survive. And I feel like the world is closing in on me, but David never gave up hope that God was there for him. And he remembers, he does so by remembering God's faithfulness to his ancestors saying, you were always there for them. I know you were. You lifted them up. You brought them out of Egypt. He doesn't say that here, but he did, right? He delivered them. He he brought them out of slavery. He cared for them. He watched over them. He advised them. He never left them. He never forsake them, forsook them. He was faithful. He was always there for their for his ancestors. He would go on in the next couple of verses to recall God's presence from his birth, saying in verses 9 and 10, Yet you brought me safely from my mother's womb and led me to trust you at my mother's breast. I was thrust into your arms at my birth, and you have been my God. There's that phrase again, my God, from the moment I was born. And in verse 11, he recognizes something that at the end of the day, I think at our core, we all know, but we don't always want to admit. And that's verse 11. It says, do not stay far away from me, for trouble is near. Check this. And no one else can help. David recognizes that even in the midst of all of this, it is only God who can deliver. It is not his own strength that will bring him where he needs to go. And it is not his his own efforts or even the efforts of others around him that will keep him from drowning physically or proverbially, right? That will pull him out of this mire, this desperate time he is in. It's tempting, though, when you're in that desperate time to reach, grab, snag, Hang on to anything you can that you think can pull you out. We do it over and over again in the deepest, darkest times of our lives. And yet we we discover over and over again that none of those things are adequate to truly pull us out. David knows there is only one. And this psalm, though, is more than just the cries of David. It is a specific prophecy of the one who will help right? The one who will come to deliver, the one that will pull them out of desperation, not just David, but all those who choose to follow him. And we know him as Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. Pick your language. It's all the same term. We know him as Jesus. Even before this psalm begins, in many of your Bibles, you probably have this thing that says a psalm of David and gives instructions for what instrument to play. That was actually placed there in ancient Hebrew tradition. It's as though David is saying, I want this specific instrument, which by the way, the Hebrew translation of those words are of that instrument is a morning star, as though David is keeping his eyes on the star that, that brings the hope of a new day. But this prophecy also describes in detail Jesus's experiences on the way to the cross. In verses 16 and 17, it draws this picture. It says, my enemies surrounded me like a pack of dogs, an evil gang closing in on me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. 
I can count all my bones and my enemies stare at me and they gloat. This is, this, this is meant to draw us to the scene of who Jesus will become. And as we look back at the Gospels, we see that Jesus experienced as he's coming to the cross and people are beating him and throwing rocks at him and, and making him carry the own instrument of his demise, this thing they're going to hang him on. That he's he's going to come forward and they're going to make him put it in the ground and they're going to they're going to lift him up there and they're going to put nails in his hands and his feet in order to hold him up there. It's mind-boggling that thousands of years before Jesus even showed up, David is describing what will happen to the one who will save him. In many ways, he is ex- he is expressing yes his own pain in the midst of this. In some ways, he's asking why. Why is this Why is this going on? Why are my enemies surrounding me? Why are they putting me through all this? God, why are you allowing this? And, and that's a question we find ourselves asking often. Why me? Why does this happen to me? But the picture we see here of David, who is a man after God's own heart, and more importantly for you and I, the one we see of Jesus, the innocent one, the one who literally did nothing to deserve anything he received from human beings around him, right? Nothing to deserve that. He was innocent as all anyone ever could be. In fact, more so because he's God and we clearly mess up on the regular. He knows beyond a shadow of a doubt what it feels like to experience pain, hate, injustice, and desperation. But this prophecy also describes Jesus on the cross. In verse 15, it says, My strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. John 19 would would tell us this story in verse 28 of, of Jesus asking for a drink because he was thirsting, because he didn't have enough left. He was dehydrated and without water. And as, as we can sometimes feel that we are on our last legs. We don't have any strength left to give. Jesus, too, was worn down, thirsty beyond measure, and wondering, where is my relief? When is this going to end? Also on the cross, in verse 18 of our psalm today, it says, they divided my garments among themselves and they, they throw dice for my clothing. These are something fulfilled specifically as John tells us in John 19, verse 24, it says, so they said, rather than tearing his robe apart, let's throw dice for it. Fulfilling this scripture, the one that we are reading today, as though the only value of Jesus is what people could scavenge from him. Jesus knows what that feels like too. And then there are Jesus's words on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They echo this psalm because Jesus knew this psalm and Jesus quoted it so that we, as we read this later, as they heard it in the moment, they recognized that he was identifying himself with our suffering. Hebrews 2 verse 14 says, Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these. He knew what it was like to walk in literally all of our shoes. You know, I think we lie to ourselves sometimes and we try to tell ourselves that 
our problems are maybe too big for God, or maybe that we are unworthy of salvation that could come through the Lord, could come through Jesus Christ, or 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 maybe, you know, maybe I'm I personally am just not worthy of being saved. And and Jesus says, No, 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 no. I became flesh so that you could be saved. I became flesh so that I would go through all the things you went through. And by the way, completely unjustly. And if we're really honest with ourselves, chances are we would say to we would say, you know, there are certain parts of my life where things have gone bad that are clearly, if I'm honest, my fault, right? I have sinned. I have done things that God would not want me to do. I've hurt people that I shouldn't have hurt. I have I have let down others that I should not have let down. And I've even done some things that would violate some of the commandments. And I'm not worthy at all. And yet Jesus says, I understand what you're going through. I've faced every temptation you would ever face. I have endured every punishment that you could ever endure and every injustice that you've had to bear. If you, if you find it critical that your Savior knows you and what you have been through, make no mistake, Jesus can say, I know what you've been through. I have truly been there. And he did it to save us. Jesus took on human form to live as David and all of us have and to bear the price of sin for us and to beat back death. But just as we do now, the tone of this psalm changes once salvation has appeared. I want you to listen to the tone of, of this faith and hope that has carried David through these trials and through these difficult times and that Jesus came to fulfill. It says this, we'll pick it up in verse 22 and read to the end. Psalm 22, verse 22 through 31 it says i will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters i will praise you among your assembled people praise the lord all you who fear him honor him all you descendants of jacob show him reverence all you descendants of israel for he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy he has not turned his back on them but has listened to their cries for help I will praise you in this great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. The poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. Yet another prophecy fulfilled in the book of Revelation. It says, for royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules all the nations. Let the rich of the earth feast and worship. Bow before him, all who are mortal, all those who live and will end as dust, whose lives will end as dust. Your children will also serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born, and they will hear about everything he has done. This is the story that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ and that we are here to tell today. This is the salvation that delivers us from death. This is Jesus Christ, and he is waiting on you and I to come to him, to proclaim his victory over death, 
over persecution, over desperation, over all of those things that bog us down in our lives and remind you that he has delivered you from them. It may not feel like it in the moment. You may have challenges or difficulties that are ongoing to you, but you can rest assured that God's salvation has been offered to you. And if you've accepted Jesus, you have it, that your future is set. David knew this thousands of years before Jesus. Jesus fulfilled it, and thousands of years later, we are still experiencing the outcome of this prophecy and the promise and salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is my hope and my prayer that if you are feeling in a place where you are desperate, that you will, one, know that Jesus knows what that feels like. Two, that Jesus died to remove anything that would keep you from getting out of that. And three, that when this is all said and done, when the world is over and it will end, that he has promised to bring you to glory with him so you can sit with him as he sits at the right hand of the Father and be blessed beyond measure. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and give you peace. God bless.